Chapter 55, Part 1 of the History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Volume 5, Chapter 55, Part 1. The Bulgarians origin, migrations, and settlement of the Hungarians, their inroads in the east and west, the monarchy of Russia, geography and trade, wars of the Russians against the Greek Empire, conversion of the barbarians. Under the reign of Constantine, the grandson of Heraclius, the ancient barrier of the Danube, so often violated and so often restored, was irretrievably swept away by the new deluge of barbarians. Their progress was favoured by the caliphs, their unknown and accidental auxiliaries. The Roman legions were occupied in Asia, and after the loss of Syria, Egypt, and Africa, the Caesars were twice reduced to the danger and disgrace of defending their capital against the Saracens. If, in the account of this interesting people, I have deviated from the strict and original line of my undertaking, the merit of the subject will hide my transgression, or solicit my excuse. In the East, in the West, in war, in religion, in science, in their prosperity, and in their decay, the Arabians pressed themselves on our curiosity. The first overthrow of the Church and Empire of the Greeks may be imputed to their arms, and the disciples of Mahomet still hold the civil and religious sceptre of the Oriental world. But the same labor would be unworthily bestowed on the swarms of savages who, between the 7th and the 12th century, descended from the plains of Scythia, in transient inroad or perpetual emigration. Their names are uncouth, their origins doubtful, their actions obscure, their superstition was blind, their valor brutal, and the uniformity of their public and private lives was neither softened by innocence nor refined by policy. The majesty of the Byzantine throne repelled and survived their disorderly attacks. The greater part of these barbarians has disappeared without leaving any memorial of their existence, and the despicable remnant continues, and may long continue, to groan under the dominion of a foreign tyrant. From the antiquities of one Bulgarians, two Hungarians, and three Russians, I shall content myself with selecting such facts as yet deserve to be remembered. The conquest of the four Normans and the monarchy of the five Turks will naturally terminate in the memorable crusades to the Holy Land and the double fall of the city and empire of Constantine. 1. In his march to Italy, Theodoric the Ostrogoth had trampled on the arms of the Bulgarians. After this defeat, the name and the nation are lost during a century and a half and it may be suspected that the same or a similar appellation was revived by strange colonies from the Boristenes, the Tanais, or the Volga. A king of the ancient Bulgaria bequeathed to his five sons a last lesson of moderation and concord. It was received as youth has ever received the counsels of age and experience. The five princes buried their father, divided his subjects and cattle, forgot his advice, separated from each other, and wandered in quest of fortune, till we find the most adventurous in the heart of Italy, under the protection of the exarch of Ravenna. But the stream of emigration was directed or impelled towards the capital. The modern Bulgaria, 
along the southern banks of the Danube, was stamped with the name and image which it has retained to the present hour, the new conquerors successively acquired, by war or treaty, the Roman provinces of Dardania, Thessaly, and the two Epirus. The ecclesiastical superiority was translated from the native city of Justinian, and, in their prosperous age, the obscure town of Lucnidus, or Acrida, was honoured with the throne of a king and a patriarch. The unquestionable evidence of language attests the descent of the Bulgarians from the original stock of the Sclavonian, or more properly Slavonian race, and the kindred bands of Serbians, Mosnians, Raskians, Croatians, Wallachians, etc., followed either the standard or the example of the leading tribe. From the Euxine to the Adriatic, in the state of captives, or subjects, or allies, or enemies of the Greek Empire, they overspread the land, and the national appellation of the slaves has been degraded by chance or malice from the signification of glory to that of servitude. Among these colonies, the Croatians or Croats, who now attend the motions of an Austrian army, are the descendants of a mighty people, the conquerors and sovereigns of Dalmatia, the maritime cities, and of these the infant republic of Ragusa, implored the aid and instruction of the Byzantine court, they were advised by the magnanimous Basil to reserve a small acknowledgment of their fidelity to the Roman Empire, and to appease, by an annual tribute, the wrath of these irresistible barbarians. The kingdom of Croatia was shared by eleven Tsopans, of feudatory lords, and their united forces were numbered at sixty thousand horse and one hundred thousand foot. A long sea-coast, indented with capacious harbours, covered with a string of islands, and almost in the sight of the Italian shores, disposed both the natives and strangers to the practice of navigation. The boats, or brigantines of the Croats, were constructed after the fashion of the old Liburnians. One hundred and eighty vessels may excite the idea of a respectable navy, but our seamen will smile at the allowance of ten or twenty or forty men for each of these ships of war. They were gradually converted to the more honourable service of commerce. Yet the Sclavonian pirates were still frequent and dangerous, and it was not before the close of the tenth century that the freedom and sovereignty of the Gulf were effectually vindicated by the Venetian Republic. The ancestors of these Dalmatian kings were equally removed from the use and abuse of navigation. They dwelt in the white Croatia, in the inland regions of Silesia and Little Poland, thirty days' journey according to the Greek computation, from the Sea of Darkness. The glory of the Bulgarians was confined to a narrow scope both of time and place. In the ninth and tenth centuries, they reigned to the south of the Danube, but the more powerful nations that had followed their emigration repelled all return to the north and all progress to the west. Yet, in the obscure catalogue of their exploits, they might boast an honour which had hitherto been appropriated to the Goths, that of slaying in battle one of the successors of Augustus and Constantine. The Emperor Nicephorus had lost his fame in the Arabian. He lost his life in the Sclavonian War. In his first operations he advanced with boldness and success into the centre of Bulgaria, and burnt the royal court, which was probably no more than an edifice and a village of timber. But while he searched the spoil and refused all offers of treaty, his enemies collected their spirits and their forces. The passes of retreat were insuperably barred, 
and the trembling Nicephorus was heard to exclaim, Alas, alas, unless we could assume the wings of birds, we cannot hope to escape. Two days he waited his fate in the inactivity of despair. But on the morning of the third, the Bulgarians surprised the camp, and the Roman prince, with the great officers of the empire, were slaughtered in their tents. The body of Valens had been saved from insult, but the head of Nicephorus was exposed on a spear, and his skull, enchased with gold, was often replenished in the feasts of victory. The Greeks bewailed the dishonor of the throne, but they acknowledged the just punishment of avarice and cruelty. This savage cup was deeply tinctured with the manners of the Scythian wilderness, but they were softened before the end of the same century by a peaceful intercourse with the Greeks, the possession of a cultivated region, and the introduction of a Christian worship. The nobles of Bulgaria were educated in the schools and palace of Constantinople, and Simeon, a youth of the royal line, was instructed in the rhetoric of Demosthenes and the logic of Aristotle. He relinquished the profession of a monk for that of a king and warrior, and in his reign of more than forty years, Bulgaria assumed a rank among the civilized powers of the earth. The Greeks, whom he repeatedly attacked, derived a faint consolation from indulging themselves in the reproaches of perfidy and sacrilege. They purchased the aid of the pagan Turks, but Simon, in a second battle, redeemed the loss of the first, at a time when it was esteemed a victory to elude the arms of that formidable nation. The Serbians were overthrown, made captive and dispersed, and those who visited the country before the restoration could discover no more than fifty vagrants, without women or children, who exhorted a precarious subsistence of the chase. On classic ground, on the banks of Achelous, the Greeks were defeated. The horn was broken by the strength of the barbaric Hercules. He formed the siege of Constantinople, and, in a personal conference with the emperor, Simeon imposed the conditions of peace. They met with the most jealous precautions. The royal gallery was drawn close to an artificial and well-fortified platform, and the majesty of the purple was emulated by the pomp of the Bulgarian. Are you a Christian? said the humble Romanus. It is your duty to abstain from the blood of your fellow Christians. Has the thirst of riches seduced you from the blessings of peace? Sheathe your sword, open your hand, and I will satiate the utmost measure of your desires. The reconciliation was sealed by a domestic alliance. The freedom of trade was granted or restored. The first honors of the court were secured to the friends of Bulgaria, above the ambassadors of enemies or strangers, and her princes were dignified with the high and invidious title of Basileus, or emperor. But this friendship was soon disturbed. After the death of Simeon, the nations were again in arms. His feeble successors were divided and distinguished, and, in the beginning of the eleventh century, the second Basil, who was born in the purple, deserved the appellation of conqueror of the Bulgarians. His avarice was in some measure gratified by a treasure of four hundred thousand pounds sterling, that is, ten thousand pounds weight of gold, which he found in the palace of Lucnidus. His cruelty inflicted a cool and exquisite vengeance on fifteen thousand captives who had been guilty in the defense of their country. They were deprived of sight, but to one of each hundred a single eye was left, that he may conduct his blind century to the presence of their king. Their king is said to have expired of grief and horror. The nation was awed by this terrible example. 
the Bulgarians were swept away from their settlements, and circumscribed within a narrow province. The surviving chiefs bequeathed to their children the advice of patience and the duty of revenge. 2. When the black swarm of Hungarians first hung over Europe, above 900 years after the Christian era, they were mistaken by fear and superstition for the Gog and Magog of the scriptures, the signs and forerunners of the end of the world. Since the introduction of letters, they have explored their own antiquities with a strong and laudable impulse of patriotic curiosity. The rational criticism can no longer be amused with a vain pedigree of Attila and the Huns, but they complain that their primitive records have perished in the Tartar War, that the truth or fiction of their rustic songs is long since forgotten, and that the fragments of a crude chronicle must be painfully reconciled with the contemporary, though foreign intelligence of the imperial geographer. Magyar is the national and oriental denomination of the Hungarians, but among the tribes of Scythia, they are distinguished by the Greeks under the proper and peculiar name of Turks, as the descendants of the mighty people who had conquered and reigned from China to the Volga. The Pannonian colony preserved the correspondence of trade and amity with the eastern Turks on the confines of Persia, and after a separation of 350 years, the missionaries of the king of Hungary discovered and visited their ancient country near the banks of the Volga. They were hospitably entertained by a people of pagans and savages, who still bore the name of Hungarians, conversed in their native tongue, recollected the tradition of long-lost brethren, and listened with amazement to the marvellous tale of their new kingdom and religion. The seal of conversion was animated by the interest of consanguinity, and one of the greatest of their princes had formed a generous, though fruitless, design of replenishing the solitude of Pannonia by this domestic colony from the heart of Tartary. From this primitive country they were driven to the west by the tide of war and emigration, by the weight of the more distant tribes, who at the same time were fugitives and conquerors. Reason or fortune directed their course towards the frontiers of the Roman Empire. They halted in the usual stations along the banks of the great rivers, and in the territories of Moscow, Kiev, and Moldavia, some vestiges have been discovered of their temporary residence. In this long and various peregrination, they could not always escape the dominion of the stronger, and the purity of their blood was improved or sullied by the mixture of a foreign race. From the motive of compulsion or choice, several tribes of the Khazars were associated to the standard of their ancient vassals, introduced the use of a second language, and obtained by their superior renown the most honorable place in the front of battle. The military force of the Turks and their allies marched in seven equal and artificial divisions. Each division was formed of 30,857 warriors, and the proportions of women, children, and servants supposes and requires at least a million of emigrants. Their public councils were directed by seven vaivods, or hereditary chiefs, but the experience of discord and weakness recommended the more simple and vigorous administration of a single person. The sceptre, which had been declined by the modest Libedias, was granted to the birth or merit of Almus and his son Arpad, and the authority of the supreme Khan of the Khazars confirmed the engagement of the prince and people, or the people to obey his commands, or the prince to consult their happiness and glory. With this narrative we might be reasonably content. 
if the penetration of modern learning had not opened a new and larger prospect of the antiquities of nations. The Hungarian language stands alone, and as it were insulated, among the Sclavonian dialects, but it bears a close and clear affinity to the idioms of the Fennic race, of an obsolete and savage race which formerly occupied the northern regions of Asia and Europe. The genuine applications of Ugri or Igurs is found on the western confines of China. Their migrations to the banks of the Irtish is attested by Tartar evidence. A similar name and language are detected in the southern parts of Siberia, and the remains of the Fennic tribes are widely, though thinly scattered from the sources of the Obi to the shores of Lapland. The consanguinity of the Hungarians and Laplanders would display the powerful energy of climate on the children of a common parent. The lively contrast between the bold adventurers who are intoxicated with the wines of the Danube, and the wretched fugitives who are immersed beneath the snows of the polar circle. Arms and freedom have ever been the ruling, though too often the unsuccessful passions of the Hungarians, who are endowed by nature with a vigorous constitution of soul and body. Extreme cold has diminished the stature, and congealed the faculties of the Laplanders, and the Arctic tribes, alone among the sons of men, are ignorant of war, and unconscious of human blood. A happy ignorance, if reason and virtue were the guardians of their peace. End of chapter 55, part 1. Recording by Monsbro, Helsingfors, Finland.